everybody going, enjoying the 40 days? Great, good to hear. If you don't have a pencil this morning, raise your hand right up as high as you can. Don't be shy this morning. And if you um, aren't able to get your hand on one of those message notes, there should be two in everybody's news sheet. So if you don't have one, just tap the person next to you and say, could I borrow one of those two that you've got in your news sheet and get a message note from inside there. While that's happening, let me uh, point you to something in your news sheet this week. It's simply uh, 40 Days of Purpose, my story sheet in there. Now, we just hear constantly of people, all the good things that have been happening in 40 days. And if you uh, have experienced changes in your life during the 40 Days of Purpose, we'd just love you to take the time to fill that out. You could just do it at home on your email. Jeff uh, Pryor's email's there. He's leading this campaign. And as as you just write that down to today, you could write a little message, email it to him, or you could just write it down here, um, not during this time, but maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe some other time you could just write that down and put that in and put it in the um, offering or put it at the information desk. That's probably the best place to put that after the service. So everybody got pencils? And they've got their message outlines. That's fantastic. 40 Days has been going really um, great and we've been enjoying being together and re doing our readings. I hope you're all up to date with your readings. Yeah. Great. Good on you. The, the reason we're actually spending this time doing the 40 Days of Purpose is that it's important that you and I know our purpose in life. And we're, we're spending 40 days together trying to understand what God's purposes are are for our lives. Now we've already looked at uh, the fact that we were planned for God's pleasure. That's the first uh, purpose that God has for our lives, that we would know him and that we would love him and that's called? Great, half-hearted. You better get ready for the next one, okay? And last week, you remember, we talked about um, how you were formed for God's family, that God wants you to learn to love other people and get along with his family. And in the Bible, uh, that's what it says. And that's called? Fantastic. And today we're going to look at the third purpose that you are put on this planet for. We find it in Romans 8.29 and in many other verses too. But look at what it says. It's on your outline there. Why don't we read this together? From the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him and he knew who would should become like his son. Now, God's plan has always been this, the third purpose, to make you like Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to make you like. Now, God's plan from the very beginning has to be made, is to make us like himself. But don't, don't get me wrong. God doesn't want you to become a God. He's not saying that uh, he wants you to become a God. You will never be a God. I mean, your wife may think you're a God. <laughs> Truth is, fellas, she doesn't think you're a God. <laughs> you think you're a God, but she probably doesn't. But you will never be a God. You know, and God doesn't want us to be that. So you can quit trying that. God doesn't want you to become one. He wants you to become godly. He, he wants you to develop his character. He wants to develop 
the way you think so you think like him. He wants to, you to act like him. He wants you to feel like him. He wants you to value the things that he values. God wants you to have the same moral character that he has as well. The whole reason, the third reason that God put you on this planet is so that you would actually become like Jesus Christ. He wants you to become like him. Now look at the, the next verse, Ephesians 4.15. We read it again together. God wants us to grow up like Christ in everything. Now what does it mean to grow up? It means to actually become like Christ. You know, babies are cute, aren't they? They're really cute. But if babies stay babies forever, it's a tragedy. It's a terrible sickness if they stay the same forever. And God wants us to mature. He wants us to develop. He wants us to, to grow up to become more and more like Christ. So, so what does it actually look like for us to, to grow up, to be mature? Well, all we've got to do is take a look at Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people never, ever grow up. So would you write this down? My third purpose in life is to become like Christ. God put you on this planet to become like Jesus. He, he actually gave us a model of what, what he wants us to become like. In 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, Colossians 1.15 in the Message Bible, and this, there's no slide for this, but, or it's not on your outline, but this is what it says. We look at the sun and we see God's original purpose in everything. He gave us a model, an example, what we're trying to become like, and it's like Jesus. Now, this is, there's a process that takes place for you and I that we actually take time to become like Jesus. We're not just walking down the street and then all of a sudden, zap, and we're all of a sudden like Jesus. It doesn't happen like that. It's a process, and that process is called discipleship. And that takes an entire lifetime. It's going to take the rest of your life for God to build in you character that's like Christ, the qualities of Jesus Christ. It's going to take a long time. Now, today we're going to look at how actually God does that. How does God do that? How does God help you and I to grow spiritually? How does he make you and I become more like Jesus? Well, there's a couple of ways that we can know straight off the bat, right, right away, that we know that he uses to make us more like him. And one of the ways is through the Bible. He uses his truth to transform us. If you really want to grow up spiritually, you've got to get into this book. You've got to actually read it. You've got to devour it. You've got to uh, memorise it, meditate on it, chew off little bits and study and put it right over and over in your mind so you know exactly what God's Word says. And the more you get into this, the more you're going to grow. You need to ensure that each day you're, you're reading it and you're learning from it. Now, the other thing God uses to uh, transform us, to help us to become more and more like Christ, is people. He, he uses people in our lives. Now, we talk, that's why we talked all last week about fellowship because the, the more and more that we get to know each other and get to grow together, the more and more we develop. And the more you get with other people who are like Christ, the more you help encourage each other and you become more like Christ together and we become spiritually mature together. 
I really love getting your emails. Many of you have already responded um, by sending emails and sending them to Jeff. Uh, Jeff's leading the uh, 40 Days of Purpose campaign. Isn't he doing a great job, everybody? Let's Way to go, Jeff. But many of you have sent back stories about what God's been doing in your small groups. And, and you've been saying how just the experience of being in a small group has been great. It's helped you grow. And that's the truth. When we start to get into fellowship together and we get deeper, we start to realise how God's impacting other people's lives. It helps us grow together. And that's one of the huge benefits of being in a small group. God uses people in your life to help you grow. That's why you've got to have contact. You've got to have a lot of fellowship with other people. There's no room for Lone Ranger Christians in the church. But God uses more than just those two things, the Bible and people. He, he uses more than those. And today we're just going to look at three things that perhaps you may not have realised that God uses, but he does. Look at this next verse in Romans 8.28. Oops. Include all bad things? Yes. Does it include painful things? Yes. Does it include mistakes that I've made through sinning? Yes, it does. In all things, the verse says, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, it doesn't say all things are good because the truth is there's a lot of bad in the world. But in all things, God uses it to make me become like Christ. Today we're going to look at three surprising, unexpected tools. We're going to see them in the life of Jesus. He had trouble in the garden. He had temptation in the desert. And he had trespasses on the cross. And if you're going to grow, if you and I are going to grow to become like Jesus, then God's going to take you and I through these same experiences. One at a time, he's going to take us through them. Now, the problem is that you don't automatically, when you experience these things, you don't automatically become like Christ. It doesn't automatically happen. You have to have your heart ready for these experiences. You have to be ready so that these experiences help you become better, not bitter. If your heart's not prepared when these experiences hit your life, you will become bitter, not better. So as we're just about to share these three tools, unexpected tools that God uses, why don't we come together as a church and say, God, change my heart. Would you soften my heart? Would you help me be prepared so that I become better when these things happen, not bitter? Well, the number one uh, thing, tool that God uses is God uses trouble to teach us to trust him. God uses trouble to teach us to trust him. Now, in the Bible, this word trouble yeah, is often also called trials. And trials are situations that are designed by God to help to draw us closer to him. They're not designed to hurt us. They're designed to actually help us. Now, it doesn't matter if things go great in your life. 
you know, if things are all great all the time, then there's no worries. That doesn't take any faith when things are just going fantastic. It doesn't take any character. So God brings sometimes things along in our lives to stretch us. He brings things that uh, come along to help us, to cause us to grow. And these are called troubles or trials. God wants to build character into you. He wants to help you to become more like Jesus. How does he do it? Well, look at uh, this verse in Romans 5, 3 to 4. Trouble produces patience and patience produces character and character produces hope. Now, I want you to get this clearly. God is far more interested in your life, in what you are, than he is in what you do. God's far more interested in what you are, your character, than what you do, your career. Why, why is he more interested in those things? Because you're not actually going to take your career with you to heaven. But you certainly are going to take your character. And, and that's what's going to last forever. And so God says that the goal of life is character, not your career. And, and the goal of life is not your own personal comfort. It's actually the development of your character. And until you understand this, life isn't going to make sense because you're just going to be hoping that everything goes smoothly for you so that your career gets better. But if that just happens, it won't help your character grow. So in order to help your character to grow, troubles, trials and difficulties are going to come. And you're going to say, Lord, why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? As if life was supposed to be comfortable for you. But the goal of life is not comfort. It's, it's not comfort. You know, this is not heaven. One day we will get to heaven and there'll be no more trials. There'll be no more trouble. There'll be no more things that are going wrong. But in the meantime, we're here on earth and we've got a lot of trouble. We've got a lot of things that go wrong. This is not the place for comfort. And this is the place now for character development. And God uh, allows things to happen to us so that we will grow. And one of the things it takes us says is trouble. Trouble produces patience. Patience produces character. And character produces hope. You might want to just write this down on your outline somewhere. Every problem has a purpose. Every problem has a purpose. I don't care whether you caused it. I don't care whether somebody else caused it, if the devil caused it. It doesn't matter who caused it. But every problem has a purpose. Every problem has a purpose. And what's that purpose? Well, so you and I can become like Jesus Christ. He wants to build character in your life and in my life. You know, Jesus went through many troubles, didn't he, while he was on earth in his life. But one of the greatest troubles at times that he experienced was the night before he was betrayed, uh, on the night that he was betrayed, just before his crucifixion. He knew what he was going to face the very next day. And so he went to a garden and in, he was in enormous turmoil. turmoil. He was uh, 
about to take the sin of the world on his shoulders. He was about to suffer and he was going to die the most horrible way, a death of crucifixion. And the real question right in all of this was, would he be able to trust in God right through this trouble? Would he trust God for his best in his life? Would he believe that God was wanting his best? And so he went to a place called Gethsemane. And he took his disciples to the garden. And actually, it was a, a grove a olive, of olive trees. And under the stress of the weight of the world, he called out to his disciples while he prayed. And notice what it says here in this next verse, in, in Mark 14 and 32. It says, They came to a garden called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Would you notice there that even Jesus needed friends when he was going through troubles. Can you see that? Right in the garden, he, he says, says to them, uh, you know, could, you, could you sit here while I pray? And that's why you need a small group. That's why you need to have people with you. That's why we need fellowship. Nobody's supposed to go through troubles alone. Even Jesus needed friends. It's true. And he, and he says, look, if you guys would just hang out with me while I pray, it's going to help. And then the verse goes on, distress and anguish came over him. And he said, the sorrow in my heart is so great that it almost crushes me. Now, this is major trouble that Jesus is going through. He's really facing a lot of trouble here. And he's saying, hey, I'm almost crushed when I think of what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm almost crushed to think of what I have to go through. And most of you can say, I know that feeling. I, I know that feeling that I'm facing some trouble that is really hard and I couldn't even feel like I could make it another day. And notice how Jesus responded, though, in the trouble that he was in. Look at this next verse. He said, Father... Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. Now, if you're ever going to become like Jesus, this is going to be the first lesson that you're going to have to learn. When you go through troubles, it's actually okay for you to say to God, God, I don't like this one bit. It's okay for you to say, uh, God, I want you to take it away. God, I, I know it's possible for you to take it away. Jesus said, I know everything is possible with you. Yet this is what's best. Yet it, this is what's best for me. Your will be done in my life. You know, I don't like it. It's painful. I don't want to go through it. But God, if this is what's best for me, if this is your will, God, your will be done in my life. He surrendered to God's plan. Whatever fulfills your purpose in my life, I want to fulfill. Now, here's the first point. If you're going to become like Jesus, you've got to learn to trust God completely. Even when things look really terrible, when things are falling apart, you might be able to say, I don't understand. I'm dying. I'm sinking. I'm going right through the very depths of the water here. But in that time, you're going to need to learn to trust God completely. It's easy to trust him when everything is going great in your life, isn't it? 
the real test of faith is how do you trust him? How do you hang out when you don't feel good? How do you hang out when everything's going wrong and you, you, you've just got bad feelings all the time? God takes away our feelings sometimes so that we might learn to have faith. So next time you're in troubles and you go and say to God, you know, why is this happening? Well, you'll know why. God is teaching you to trust him. He's giving you just another opportunity in your life to trust him. Now, let me give you just quickly a couple of things that will help you when you go through troubles in your life. Some of you are going right through troubles right now in your life. And here are a couple of things. The number one thing is you can keep a spiritual journal. It's a great way of helping you. I can't recommend this highly enough. God told Moses to do this when he spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. This is what it says in Numbers 33 and verse 2. It says, At the Lord's direction, Moses kept the written record of their progress. Now, when I say keep a spiritual journal, I'm not talking about a diary. You know, in a diary, you record the events that happen in a day. You know, like you might say, Today I went to the grocery store and I saw a handsome man. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but some of you ladies might. <laughs> but it's not actually recording the events of, of your day. You know, in, in years to come, people aren't going to care who you saw at the grocery store, but it's recording the lessons that you have learned in your life. You know, in years to come, when you look back, you'll be able to learn and see the lessons that you've learned as you've journaled. And that, that's great. It helps. What lessons did I learn today? That's a, a, a great thing to do. You know, I, this is my very first uh, journal that I, that I began. And I began this only 10 years ago in uh, 1995. And, you know, it was a trial that actually brought me to write my first entry. To start off, this is my first journal entry and hopefully the first of many disciplined but loving entries. <laughs> um, right now there are two issues of major importance which I want to bring before you, God. It was a trial that brought me first to writing it down. You know, the first one was I was in a Christian band and we were playing in different churches on Saturday, Sunday nights and it was taking all the musicians that were in our band away from the church and saying, God, as we get out into ministry, is it right to be taking away all these musicians? So I journaled that right through. You know, after I, I felt called to Bible college, I had a whole lot of clear signs that God showed me that said, I want you to leave your work to go to Bible college. And I remember keeping the notes and keeping the, writing down the words that people had shared with me at that time, which helped me to realise, hey, God, you really are calling me. But you know what? My first trial came at the end of my first year of Bible college when I got my report back and it said, Jonathan, out of the five year-long subjects you've studied, you've failed three of them. Not only that, I'd been elected to come back and lead the whole Bible college as the senior student, the student representative. So in an academic college, I had to lead them when I'd failed three out of my five subjects. <laughs> I journaled a lot at that time. <laughs> One of the things I did, though, was I went back over those notes, over the letters that people had said, over the calls, so, so I could remind myself of the things that God had clearly showed me about the fact that I was called. And that was a time right through a trial where journaling helped me so much. 
to get through that time of trials. There's been so many other trials and troubles in my life where journaling has helped so much. I can't recommend it enough. There's a couple of other values in having a journal. Once it uh, it also helps you to see your progress. You know, you look back on your journal in, in years to come and you can say, wow, look how much I've changed. Look what I used to be like when I first began journaling. And you can go back and review and you can see all the ways that you're making progress in your life. And you can say, hey, I'm more like Jesus now than what I used to be. Another thing is that it's in encouragement. The things that you've been learning in your life, one day you might be able to pass on to your kids. You might be able to share it with other people to encourage them. You know, we're talking about fellowship. It's the lessons you've learned. If you pass them on to other people, it would help. Keeping a spiritual journey is a great way to do it, a way to uh, go through troubles and help you through those times. The second thing you can do is to remember the reward. Eternity, in eternity, you're going to be, you're going to get reward for your character development. You know, the level to which you grow and become more like Jesus will be rewarded. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul says, he's saying, you know, what we're going through right now isn't going to last forever. And even if it lasts for our whole lifetime, the troubles that we're facing, then compared to the rest of our life in eternity, to all the years and years and years that we're going to spend, it's, it's, it's nothing. You know, what we're going through now is light and temporary compared to all that we're going to face and all the things that we're learning now will be rewarded for in heaven. You know, I love the message paraphrase when it says, when it talks about this verse, it says, these hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming times and the lavish celebration prepared for us. When you think of eternity, this is small potatoes, the things you're going through. And when I read this verse, it reminds me of a lady, Robin McQuiston, and she's a, a young Christian lady. And she'd only been married for about five years when she had a brain aneurysm and it paralyzed the whole left side of her body. And that was a huge thing for her and her husband to, to go through. And uh, one day she was at a, a Bible study in the church that she attended. And uh, while they were just having afternoon tea, uh, the pastor came by and saw her sitting there in a wheelchair. And it was a bit of a chilly day and they were out sort of in a tent as they were having this Bible study. And the pastor said to her, her he said, Robin, are you comfortable? And she said, I won't be comfortable until I get to heaven. But then she said, this life isn't going to last long though. It's just a vapour. You know, that's spiritual maturity. It's saying, I'm going through troubles now. I'm probably going to be uncomfortable for the rest of my life. But the life I'm living now is so short, it's just like a vapour compared to eternity. And one day, it's going to be no troubles, no trials. For the rest of eternity, we can't even imagine, we can't even begin to think what that's going to be like. We can only imagine what it's going to be like now. But right now in the midst of your trials and your troubles, why don't we imagine together what it's going to be like in heaven? Why don't you watch this with me? A 
can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. glory what will my heart feel will I dance for you Jesus or in all of you be still will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall will I sing hallelujah will I be able to speak at all I can only imagine I can only imagine
There is a second surprising way that God works in our lives to make us more like Jesus. He uses our temptations. God uses our temptations to make us to obey him. How would we describe temptations? Temptations are the situations designed by Satan and they're intended to harm us. That's what temptations are. God never tempts us to do evil. The Bible is very clear about that. They are designed by Satan and they are intended to hurt us. God never tempts us, but because of who he is and the greatness of his power, he's able to use the temptations of Satan for good in our lives because temptations always provide a choice. And when I choose God's way rather than Satan's, Satan's plan is ruined and I continue to start or to continue to grow in my life. And choices are needed to develop character in our lives. Jesus faced temptations. He never sinned, but he faced temptations. Right after he was baptised at the very beginning of his public ministry, at the age of 30, he went through an intense 40-day period of temptation out in the desert. Look at what the Bible says in Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, to be tempted by the devil. Now, if Jesus faced temptations, guess what? You and I are going to face temptations too. In fact, the thought that Jesus faced temptations reminds us of some truths about temptation. And these truths helped to get us through it, some things to remember. Number one, remember it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus never sinned and he was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. Martin Luther used to say, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. That's if you have enough hair for them to build a nest in. (laughs) It's not a sin to be tempted. Number two, remember that everyone is tempted in the same ways, all of us. The Bible says we're all tempted in the same common ways. One of the ways Satan tricks us is he makes us feel like our temptation is bigger or worse than anyone else's. Like, I'm really bad, I've got this great temptation. Nobody in all of human history has ever faced one like this. Your temptation is just like everyone else's. And if you're feeling like, wow, I'm really a bad person, we're sort of like the toddler who thinks they're they're the first one to come up with the idea of screaming to get their mother's attention. And the truth is that every one of us faces the same temptation. We're all alike. And if you're scared by the temptation that you're facing now, 
feeling like no one has ever faced a temptation like this. Let me tell you, we've all faced the same thing. And God is able to help us through these temptations. It's important to remember, you'll never outgrow temptation. You'll never get to a point in your life when you become so spiritual or so old that you're not tempted anymore. We all are tempted throughout all of our lives. But it's also important to remember that Jesus takes us in his experience and teaches us that every temptation is an opportunity to do good, to make the right choice. It's a stepping stone to becoming more like Jesus Christ. Notice what Jesus did when he was tempted. In Matthew 4:10, Jesus said, Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. The scriptures say, Worship only the Lord God. Obey only him. He confronted the temptation. Here's the point. Temptation always tests whether you love God more than the temptation. That's what, what's happening when you're tempted. It's always a test of what do I love the most in my life? Do I love God the most? Or do I love money most in my life? When I'm tempted by a wrong relationship, do I love that person or do I love God more in my life? When I'm tempted by comfort, I just like to be comfortable in my life. That could be a temptation. Who do I love more? God or that temptation to make life easy that has come into my life? Obedience is choosing to say yes to God. It's a matter of love. It's not a matter of duty. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my command. Now here are two practical tips in helping you to handle temptation. Number one, keep focused on good thoughts. The Bible talks about this in Philippians 4, 8, when it says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. You cannot keep the thought of succumbing to a temptation and the thought of obeying God in your mind at the same time. Once you turn your thoughts and focus on something positive, like obeying God, those things that are good and right and true, those things that God would have us think about, then all of a sudden you've pushed the temptation away. Let me give you a tip. When you're tempted, don't resist it. Because as you're resisting it, guess what you're doing? You're thinking about the temptation and getting into a spiritual tug of war with Satan. And he always wins. You don't resist it, you just drop the rope and you think about something different. You keep focused on good thoughts. As someone has put it, when you flee temptation, be sure you don't leave a forwarding address. 
The second tip is to get a spiritual partner or friend. You say, what do you mean by a spiritual friend or partner? What's the difference between a good friend who happens to be a Christian and a spiritual friend? A spiritual friend is one in whom you can confide absolutely, who helps you to keep paying attention to God. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, you're better off to have a friend than to be all alone. If you fall, your friend can help you up. They're not going to be surprised at what you tell them, because guess what? They've faced the same temptations too. At the start of 40 days, we talked about not going alone, at least getting a, a reading partner. The best place to look for a spiritual partner is in your group, somebody that you can trust. And if that doesn't work out, come to Jonathan or Gail or myself for some advice. The Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul, whom God used in great ways because he resisted a lot of temptations in his life, had a lot of spiritual partners throughout his life. People whose <clears throat> names you will come across in reading the New Testament, like Mark, Apollos, Timothy, Epaphras or Titus. All these people he brought into his life at various times. And one of the reasons he was able to live the Christian life so well is that he wasn't afraid to have spiritual partners with whom he shared his life. But here's the question. What temptation are you facing right now? How could overcoming that temptation enable you to obey God so that in your character, you become more like Jesus Christ. I want you this morning to listen to one of my dearest friends, Lindell Hartnett, as she shares with us the story of her remarkable spiritual recovery. Let's give her a warm and genuine welcome. My story starts like many you may have heard before. I grew up in a Christian family with loving parents, attended church on Sundays. But if you bear with me, you may find this small portion of my testimony something you can relate to or even close to home. It highlights areas in my life which kept me from becoming like Jesus and preventing me from experiencing a journey of fulfilment in God's purpose. I first made a commitment to Jesus sometime in year seven and was baptised as a believer a short time later. I struggled with my faith as a young Christian. I spent most of my high school life trying to fit in, feeling quite isolated as I didn't have any bonding Christian friendships at school. I gave in to temptation on many occasions hoping this would help me make friends. While still attending church each, each Sunday, I quickly found myself spending more time doing not so desirable activities with not so desirable friends, much like a double life, really. 
Over time, I grew further and further from God, to the point where he became a distant memory. Later in my teens, he didn't even rate as that, especially on nights spent living it up and partying hard, abusing myself physically and emotionally. This sinful life wasn't so much a temptation anymore as it became normal for me. Just before reaching the gutter, in some back street of suburbia Melbourne, I received some news that would change my life forever. At the age of 19, I was pregnant. Could you imagine the hearts of my parents sinking as they received this news via the phone? I have a lot of admiration for mum and dad as they welcomed me home with open arms to support me in the only way they knew how. In April of 1997, Shanae was born. After a very brief flirt with the church again, I soon slipped back into the self-absorbed and self-destructive lifestyle I knew so well. As my selfish life continued, I was now faced with different responsibilities as a single mother. This in turn exposed different temptations, the need to provide for Shanae and I financially, physically, and emotionally. Tempted by money, so we could have everything we wanted. Rushing into relationships, because I needed to provide a father for Shanae, and then I wouldn't be lonely. That was gonna make me happy. Another seven years of looking in all the wrong places, exposing myself, and now Shanae, to a whole world of hurt landed me again in a state of absolute despair. Pain I can still vividly remember. Whilst watching yet another de facto relationship fail, mum and dad continued to pray. Toward the end of last year, mum and dad, and now Norman, as our home is his home, welcomed me home yet again with the compassion and unconditional love of God. I finally got over myself and was overwhelmed by the grace of our mighty God as I started putting my trust in him. Soon after moving home, God answered many years of prayers as I began a new journey, one filled with real love, real friendships, purpose, life, excitement, and most of all, one with Christ. I am proud to stand before you all today a completely surrendered disciple of God. God has blessed my life in so many ways. I couldn't possibly mention them all now. But there is one friendship in particular I have developed which is very special to me, and that is the one I have with Norman. He is my spiritual partner. We have spent many hours sharing all sorts of experiences. We have a bond in Christ that will never be broken. And I thank God every day for placing Norman in my life. Second to the grace of God, if it wasn't for Norman, I wouldn't be sharing my story with you today. I also have the privilege of being part of the Youth United leadership team. I must have left my comfort zone in my past because I'm going places I've never been before, all with God and for God. Reflecting on my past, I now recognise God was training me for my future. He has used many troubles in my life to teach me to trust him, 
and the numerous temptations to teach me to obey him. I've also learnt the fact that God doesn't waste a hurt. You may or may not relate to my story, but I'm sure you face temptations like I have. You may be struggling with a hurt, trial, problem or decision, and I encourage you to trust your creator. Don't get discouraged. God won't give up on you. It is a choice, and I urge you to make one today. Are you satisfied with what you are becoming? You can change if you want to. Recognise your trials as training. Turn your problems into positives. And be encouraged to know that where you are today is not where you're going to be. Start trusting God and turn from temptation. And this will help you become more like Jesus. If you do, you won't be disappointed. Thank you. So God uses temptations to teach you to obey him. And God wants to make you like Jesus. And it's the third purpose that he puts you on this earth. And he wants to build character into you now so that you can be rewarded in eternity. Life's, uh, this life is really not what it's all about. This life is short compared to that. It's a preparation for eternity. So, so far we've looked at two of the ways that God uses. He uses trouble to teach us to obey, uh, to trust, and he uses temptation to teach us to obey. And number three, God uses trespass to teach us to give, for, forgive. He uses trespasses to teach us to forgive. Now, what in the world are trespasses? Well, if trials are situations designed by God to draw us closer to him, and if temptations are designed by the devil to draw us away from him, then trespasses are situations designed by other people who are designed to hurt us. Yes, there there really are people in this world, in this life, who want to hurt us. that's why the, the Lord's Prayer in the Bible, when we read it, it says, Lord, we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Now, this is a real tough one it, because it's, hard to, it's, it's a really hard thing to handle. Um, it's hard to handle trouble. And it's another thing when you're trying to handle temptation, but when you're handling uh, people that have actually intentionally tried to hurt you, that's a, it's a harder thing again. Bearing hurt from people without retaliation is without doubt the most important and the most difficult step to becoming more like Jesus Christ, often because it involves you and I being misunderstood, being criticised, being judged. We get hurt. Being sometimes it involves being hurt physically, or emotionally, or verbally. And sometimes it even involves abuse. Now, let me be clear about this: all these things are not good. These things are evil. These things are evil, and God's not the author of evil. God doesn't cause these things to happen. God hates sin. But he didn't even protect his own son, Jesus, from these things. Even when 
Jesus was on earth. He was misunderstood. He was hurt. He was judged. He was abused. And there's no reason why you and I should think that we're going to be let off the hook either. You see, on the cross, Jesus not only carried our sins, but he also endured enormous abuse from people. People that were standing right there. Would you notice this verse in Matthew 27 and 39 and to 44? It says, The people passing by, who were looking at Jesus on the cross, shook their heads and hurled insults at Jesus. And the elders made fun of him. Even the bandits who had been crucified with him insulted him in the same way. And what was his response? Look at the next verse. Jesus said, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they are doing. You know, uh, 1 Peter 2.23. It's not there on your outline, but it says this, that they called him every name in the book. And he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, intent to let God set things right. What did Jesus do? Uh, What was his response to the trespassers, he yielded his right to get even. He absorbed the hurt. He put up with the pain. He responded to evil with good. That's what Jesus did. Now, if you're going to grow up spiritually, and if you're going to become like Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to learn to do the same thing. The truth is, everybody, everybody, is going to get hurt. Um, You are going to get hurt. This isn't heaven. This isn't where we're going to end up. This is a fallen world and everybody sins. You hurt other people. I hurt other people. Other people hurt you. And some people hurt you intentionally. Some people hurt you unintentionally. You hurt people sometimes intentionally. You hurt them unintentionally. And you're going to be hurt often in life. It's true. And if you're going to become like Christ, then you've got to learn to forgive. You might say, well, how do you do that? How can you learn to forgive? You know, how how can someone forgive if they've never been hurt? Well, the truth is you can't. If you've never been hurt, you can't forgive. You can't learn to forgive unless somebody's actually hurt you. And yet forgiveness is one of the primary qualities that God wants you and I to learn. He wants us to learn to become like him. And God has forgiven us. So there are hurts that God allows so that we can learn to forgive so that we become like him. Again, it's one of the toughest ones. So let me give you just two tips, two little helps for when people harm you intentionally or unintentionally. Number one. Remember that God has forgiven me. The Bible says, forgive others just as God has forgiven you or God forgave you because of Christ. You will never be asked by God to forgive anybody more than you've already been forgiven by him. God's not going to ask you to forgive someone for something that he hasn't already forgiven you of. You know, when you hurt somebody else... Uh, God wants you to, when you're hurt by somebody else, God wants you to forgive because he's forgiven you. Number two, remember that God is in control. When you're hurt by somebody, by somebody else, they may be mean to you. They 
may be meaning also to hurt you so that it causes bad in your life. But God will use that bad for good in your life. In fact, that's the very thing that Joseph said in Genesis. The story of Joseph is right there in the Bible in Genesis and it talks about how he was betrayed by his very own family. You know, his, his brothers, they, they took him out and they, and they really disliked him. So they sold him into slavery. And then they went back to their dad and they said, oh, Joseph, he's, he's killed. He was killed by a bear. A bear came and ate him. You know, look, here's his coat with all the blood on it. This is not exactly a healthy family, is it? There's a dysfunctional family there. And yet God had a plan in it all. God, God had a plan for what he was doing. And, and Joseph was taken to Egypt and through all of these things, uh, God was able to use him. You know, right there in Egypt, he was accused falsely of rape. He was thrown into prison. The first 40 years of Joseph's life just went down, down, down. And he had no idea where things were going in his life. But God knew exactly what he was doing with Joseph. And, and yet Joseph trusted God right through the whole time. And Joseph maintained a spirit of forgiveness. And over time, God raised him up to be the second in charge in, in Egypt. And right while the, while the whole place was going through famine, God used Joseph to save not only Egypt, but Israel. And he used him to save these two nations. When you read that story, and it's a good idea to read it, it's all there. And later the brothers, the very brothers that threw Joseph down into the well and, and sold him into slavery came back. And not realising that it was Joseph that they were talking to, they came and asked for food. And when Joseph reveals who he is, you know, they're thinking, we're going to die. He's going he's to kill us. And yet there on your outline, this is what, what he said. You meant to hurt me, but God turned your evil into good to save the lives of many people, which is being done. Would you circle the word there, the phrase, save, their, save the lives, save the lives? He said, you meant it to hurt me, but God turned it into good to save the lives of many people. Keith Moulton has been through some very difficult times and we thought we'd ask him to come and share. Would you give him a warm welcome as he shares his story? This morning I've been asked to give part of my testimony to you and this morning I ask for your understanding as I read this because there's no way known can I stand here and bring back the memories <clears throat> without the help of my notes? My story this morning will be touching two aspects of God's purpose in my life, to trust him and to be forgiven. On Saturday the 20th of April 1996, I drove up to Hobart to attend a grief and loss seminar that was being conducted by the Royal Hobart Hospital Counselor. And there I was hoping to learn something that could assist me to come to terms with the sadness and the grief I was going through, the death of my wife, Grace, and that occurred some 14 weeks before. Grace had been terminally ill for over two years, so sadness and grief had become a way of life for both of us over that long period of ill health. 
And as prepared as I thought I was, her death came as a shock. Grace died on the 11th of January, 1996. And the subject of the seminar that Saturday was twofold. Coping with expected death and tragic death. And I learned a lot that Saturday. And the next day I copied my notes into a folder and put them away, knowing that if I needed them I could quickly find them. On Sunday the 28th of April, 1996, my daughter Nanette and her two daughters, Alana, six, and Madeline, three, were murdered with what became known as the Port Arthur Massacre. I was not aware of the shooting at the time, and several hours later, when I was told, shock began to swamp me. My thoughts took off. This should not just happen to me. Things like this don't happen to Christians. Is it possible I'm not right with God? What have I done wrong? Am I out of God's will? Why? 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 And my life began to be turned upside down. And that Sunday night, Dali's weird paintings became the norm. Things didn't add up. Everything was collapsing from under me. I had no basis of life anymore. My Christian faith suffered a very severe blow. And on Monday morning, I went to see the bodies where and as they fell. What do you say to a three-year-old curled up in the gutter? I'm sorry, that's useless. What excuse can you offer to a lovely but a very dead six-year-old? What comfort is there for a father viewing his younger daughter lying on a bitumen road? What do you do when people everywhere are watching your gut-wrenching grief? And Monday became a day of forced busyness. Don't stop and think, keep going. You've seen the girls, you know they're not coming home anymore. And that day was an experience like this. What do you do when the back of your throat screams with pain? Your sore, dry eyes start to fog over. Even your ears begin to hurt. You have difficulty standing up. Where is God? Why has he deserted me? He's not listening to me. He must be facing the other way. And the hours went slowly by. I headed home later that afternoon and reached my own front gate and I suddenly remembered that in the cupboard was a folder. And to say that my heart gave a leap would be an understatement. I realised that in that folder were all the things that could happen to me a list of all the possible complaints, the medical, mental, psychological ailments I could face, all were listed on the sheets. And right then, I realised I'd been given the answers to so many of the questions that I would face in the days to come. All there in the folder. All there, eight days before they were required. God had prepared a guide, something to relieve my fears, something to prepare me for the coming days. I'd not be in the dark. I'd, be, I'd not be unaware of what was happening to me. And the first small seed of trust had been replanted and was taking root. 
I placed that folder on my bed and fell on top of it. My prayer through the tears became a conversation as I thanked God for his goodness towards me. Eight days before, he had given me the first signpost of my recovery. And the promise written in Isaiah 43 too started to live. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. I began to feel that peace that goes beyond human description, gently warming my body. I was not alone. God had seen everything that happened. He knew all about it. And a sweet calmness began to settle over my muddled thoughts. God was with me. And he would be with me right through this ordeal, however long that was to last. I began to get to my feet and a wonderful experience followed immediately. It was just as though two blocks of granite suddenly slid in under my feet. And standing up straight, I experienced the comfort of my Heavenly Father being present in that room with me. His Holy Spirit had reassumed his rightful position as a permanent resident in my home. Could I trust God to carry me in the difficult days ahead? Could he be trusted to guide, to nurture, to spiritually feed me in the coming months and years? Psalm 23 raced into my mind and that psalm has become my living testimony. Could I trust God? Do I trust God? Can you trust God? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes again. Since then he's taught me to trust him even more as I've witnessed his hand in my life. His purpose for my life became clearer some months later, but that's another story. But there was another lesson I had to learn from the events of the 28th of April, 1996. This lesson took some time. But today I am at peace with what God has shown me as I was enrolled in the difficult school of learning forgiveness. We find in the Good News Bible when Jesus taught his disciples to pray these words, forgive us the wrongs we have done as we forgive, those, we forgive the wrongs of others that have done to us. And that is Jesus Christ's standard of forgiveness. To forgive the murderer of three of your family is not easy. It's not something that's settled overnight. It is not natural to forgive a person that has caused you so much sorrow, someone who has robbed you of the company of your family and the years of watching them grow up. I read and reread the story of Christ's forgiving words from the cross. I thought about the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And I finally came to the conclusion that if I was to be more like Jesus and attain the example he set for me, I would have to include my forgiveness to Martin Bryan. Be kind and tender-hearted to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Christ. As I made my decision to be prepared to forgive this man, a peace came over me and the tension went out of my stomach. Immediately I knew the blessing of my father's forgiveness afresh in my life. His forgiveness towards me was alive and well again. 
Forgiveness can only be learned after experiencing wrongs done against you. You will never treasure and fully know in God's forgiveness until you have completely forgiven someone else. Can a person ever forgive, ever fully trust God after going through a traumatic time of tragedy such as occurred at Port Arthur? Can a person offer forgiveness to someone who has caused so much sorrow, grief and loss in their family? And the last question, has anything good come out of the tragedy that was Port Arthur on the 28th of April 1996? The answer to all these questions is yes, Yes, and yes again. Thank you. God uses trouble to teach us to trust. And God uses temptation to teach us to obey. And God uses trespasses to teach us to forgive. Now, I'm absolutely convinced of two things. Your greatest testimony as a believer is how you handle hurt. How do you respond when other people hurt you? Do you respond like Jesus did? The second thing I'm convinced is, of is that you're most like Christ when you suffer in order to save others. Who do you need to forgive this morning? God's forgiven you. He's given you forgiveness rich and free. Offer forgiveness generously. Give it out freely to others because then you're becoming like Christ. Let's sing together. Why don't we stand? A couple of these last verses um, on your outline. You might just see there where it, it, it says some hope for us as we finish today. God wants you to become like him, but he promises this for us. Look what he says in Romans 8, 17. He says, we go through exactly what Christ does, exactly what he goes through. But the good news is if we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. You know, we're going to ex experience trials and troubles and temptations, but we're also going to experience the good times which Jesus went through as well. And finally, that last verse says how we should respond. I don't know what your troubles are, what your trials, what your temptations are this morning. There's far too many people here this morning for me to know everything about you. But I do know how God wants you to respond. He wants you to respond the way that verse says there, that our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Respond to him with the same attitude of Christ this morning. Would you just take that little blue card that's out in your, um, in your news sheet this morning? We're going to give you an opportunity to respond. But while you're holding that in your hand, just before we fill that out, let's pray together, shall we? <coughs> Dear God, our Father, Life makes so much more sense when we actually realise that it's not about our career. We realise that it's not about our comfort, but it's all about our character. 
God, we want to become like you, Jesus. Help us to use life for the reason you gave it to us. Now this morning, you might just want to pray something like this quietly to yourself. Dear God, I want to grow in character. I want to become like you who made me. Thank you for the model of Jesus. I want to become more like Jesus in the way I think, in the way I feel, in the way I act. And if that means taking me through troubled times, then I say, I want your will for my life. And if that means going through a wilderness of temptation, please, God, give me the strength to make the right choices. And God, if that means that I must endure the hurts of other people, then teach me, God, to forgive as you've forgiven me. And this morning, if you want to pray, opening your heart to Jesus for the very first time, you can pray something like this just quietly. Jesus, I can't live unless I know you. So I want to get to know you today. As much as I know how, I ask you to come into my life, to come into my heart. Forgive me, God, for all that I've done against you and become my Lord, my Saviour. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.